This morning, you guys are in for a treat. Um, you get to hear from the third-string quarterback, which I'm sure everyone, like, everyone thinks that when they go to a Seattle Seahawks game, you're like, oh, man, I really hope Austin Davis gets the start over Russell Wilson. Like, I'm really hoping to see him play. So really, it's not much of a treat, but, um, but I am really excited to, uh, to be preaching here and hear what God has for you, and I know God has something for you today, and so I just pray that uh, this, this message would be something that, that you could uh, take away with you, not just uh, today, but for the weeks to come and months and years to come. And so uh, to start off, I want to tell us a little bit of a story about myself, um, I, they're always funny, so, or at least I think they're funny. Uh, when I was growing up in grade school, we had this, uh, like, a field day every year, um, and we called it Olympic Day. And so every grade and every class in that grade was a different country. And so, and we looked forward to this every single year, from first grade to fifth grade. And we loved it, because we would, we'd learn about the country that we were going to be that, that whole year, and we'd learn about their culture, and the different things, we'd make up uniforms and everything. So it was a big deal, and it was bragging rights. Like, I want to tell you how big of a deal this was to, like, these grade school students, including myself. Like, the first day of class, you would look around and be like, man, I hope I have a lot of athletic kids in my class. And, like, I was really big. I've I've always been kind of a big kid. I was, like, 5'11", 6' in 5th, 6th grade. So when I walked into the room, they're like, yes! It was the only time in my life I've been popular, okay? So I just have to have that, so just let me have it. Um, and so, but we would look forward to this all year. But the best part of this Olympic day is that we would get to, at the end of the Olympic day, we would do this tug of war event. So class on class, and you would just, you would face all your other grade, le- uh, all, the, all the other uh, classes in the grade. And you got bragging rights for an entire year. I mean, this was a big deal. And so my fifth grade year, we were all looking forward to it. I was, my, my class was excited to have me, of course, and so because I was going to be the anchor, like the best position ever in tug of war. And so we were all looking forward to it. And, and the day that Olympic Day came around, it started raining. And I'm like, and we're all, we all were like, oh, man, I hope they let us have Olympic Day. I hope I let, let us have Olympic Day. And it was raining. So we went through the day, and about mid-morning, it stopped raining. We're like... It may, it may still happen. It may still happen, but they ended up canceling it, and we were, we were devastated. This, this, was, this was our life in fifth grade, okay? So this was a big deal. And so the best part of it was that, like, the rain stopped mid-morning. So we went out, we went to lunch, and we always had recess after lunch, and they let us outside, and I'm like, so all of us, the fifth grade logic, right? We said, hey, we're, we're allowed to go outside, but we're not allowed to do the tug of war. Maybe they'll just let us do tug of war. So us as fifth graders decided to do this, like unite in this movement. So we all ran down to the field where, where the uh, tug of war event would happen, and we started chanting. We're like, tug of war tug of war, because we're going to face this evil administration that took Olympic Day from us and canceled it, and so we were just screaming, tug of war. Then more and more students and more and more grades started joining us. It was this rebellious moment. We were the rebels against the empire. We were Katniss Everdeen and District 13 against the Capitol. If the older folks don't get that, it's like Rocky Balboa versus the the steroid-ridden uh, Russian guy. That's how big of a deal. That's what we were. And so 
we were just chanting, and we got the idea of, you know what, this isn't enough. We have to go into the hallways of the school and run around and screaming, tug of war, tug of war, because this evil administration wasn't going to get away with canceling the, <laughs> the tug of war. And so I have to report that, unfortunately, we lost the, we, we lost the battle. They didn't, reinstate <laughs> they didn't reinstate the tug of war or Olympic Day, but we won the war because they ended up saying, okay, we'll, we'll have the tug of war event on another day. So that was probably the first time in my life that, that I really felt united with other uh, classmates, even classmates I didn't like or we didn't get along. We were, we were brothers and sisters rallying against the evil administration, the evil regime that took us against, uh, took away our Olympic day. And so I would, uh, it was the first time in my life that I felt united with other people. And maybe um, you have a similar feeling. And maybe it's not, of course, tug of war for you. But maybe it's some political movement that you've been involved in. Um, or maybe a lot of social movements get, get the same idea. They bring together people from different backgrounds who otherwise probably would never speak to each other. And they get and they, they are on mission together. And they unite people. Um, and honestly, this is why I do love like the real Olympics so much uh, and things like the World Cup because the countries from all around the world get together for competition purposes just to say that they're the best in that sport. And political movements throughout the, throughout the history of the world have, have done the same thing. Movements don't happen without people being united. And although it doesn't just have to be sports, like I said, political movements and, and many other things, I mean even... Uh, uh, what is it, the, the, home, uh, the extreme makeover home edition brought communities and people together uh, for, for a common goal and common purpose. And so unity is powerful. It drives movements. And so although sports and political movements can unite people, there's one thing that's supreme in uniting people, and it's Christ. Christ unites all everyone in a new relationship with him, in doctrine, and even in the church, Christ unites all things. And so if you look with me in in verse 19 of Ephesians 2, I want to read it again. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See, in verse 19, we find Paul affirming that Gentiles are being brought into the household of God. Prior to this, it was just this, the notion that God's people were the Jewish people. And, and this is a new state of being and a new relationship with God. Gentiles were now have access to the same faith that just as the Jewish, early Jewish converts did um, in the early church. And this idea is revolutionary. Just like as Pastor Greg talked about last week. These, these two groups were hostile to each other, and Christ himself brought down the barriers of hostility. And so Paul wanted to affirm this reality with his readers. He wanted to make sure that they knew that Gentiles and Jews are united in this new relationship with Christ, Christ being the cornerstone. And so because of their backgrounds and because of where they, they, they came from and because of even how their, their, their past and their histories, they did not get along. And one of the earliest challenges the church faced was how to bring people who weren't Jewish into this new relationship with God. 
We see this played out in Acts 11. So if you want to turn to me to, or turn with me to Acts chapter 11, I'm going to be starting in verse 1. And it says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them uh, in order of what happened. And so Peter goes on to explain that he had a, he had a vision of God that like a sheet came down from heaven and all animals uh, came down and he and. God said to him in that vision, go and eat. And he says, no, 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 I don't eat anything that is unclean or, or, or common. And, and God rebukes him saying, don't call anything that, that I have made common or unclean. And he was puzzled about what, what happened, what this vision meant. And he ended up getting uh, a call from a couple of men who, uh, who said, hey, come with me to Caesarea. And, and preach the word of God to, to our master's house. And in verse 12, we see that, uh, and the spirit told me to go with them, to, and making no distinction. He's saying, even though they were Gentiles, I was supposed to go with them. The spirit made it clear that I had to go with them. These six brothers also accompanied me, and when we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house, send to Joppa, and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as us in the beginning. He's talking about the day of Pentecost when the church began. He's saying the Holy Spirit came on them just as it did with us in the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord's, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them or gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they felt silent, or they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. See, this was the early church's biggest, one of the biggest challenges in the early church. And Peter was accused even saying, why would you go to the Gentiles? Because a good Jew would never eat with, uh, in, go into a household and eat with the Gentiles. But his response is telling, he says, if God gave them the same gift as he gave to us, then who am I to stand in God's way? See, Christ brought us, us Gentiles, brought everyone who would believe in Christ into the household of God. This is revolutionary. A lot of things in life can bring people together uh, to and, and accomplish great things in unity. Political movements thrive on this. Uh, and, and I mean, anyone who watches American Idol obviously does the same. They love uh, that American Idol. But, the, but Christ is supreme. He brings together all nations, all languages, all races, all economic backgrounds, all political affiliations, all personality types, all past, all presents, and all futures together in one household. This is the message of unity that, that Paul is preaching. 
but he doesn't just unify us in a new relationship. He unites us in doctrine as well. Let's look at verses 20 and 21 in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This new relationship that is being built is built on the foundation and beliefs about who Christ is. And this is what we call doctrine. This is the, the doctrine that all Christians believe, that all have believed since, since the beginning. And, and it says that Christ himself is the cornerstone. When reading uh, commentaries in preparation for this message, commentaries differ on whether this is the cornerstone of the big block at the corner of the foundation, or if it's the cornerstone or keystone of the, the roof of the building. But either way, whichever one that this, this cornerstone is referring to, that Christ is, it is the most important piece of the entire structure. Because without the cornerstone on the foundation, the building will fail. And without the keystone at the top, the building will fail. And so Christ and the, the doctrine that he is, being the cornerstone of who he is, is the most important piece of this holy temple that is being built. So Christ, so what do we have to believe in Christ? So Christ is the Son of God. He is fully God and fully man. He, he lived a sinless life, born of a Virgin Mary, uh, died on the cross as a substitution for our own sins. He paid the penalty by that sacrifice on that cross and rose again three days later, uh, defeating the penalty of death once and for all. See, Jesus is the only way that we can have a relationship with him, with God. The only way we can have eternal life with him. So all these truths I just mentioned, the apostles and the disciples in the early church affirmed. That's how we got the New Testament itself. These are all affirmed by what we read in the New Testament, and these are all affirmed by even Christ himself. And the apostles are building on the cornerstone of Christ, built the doctrine of what we have in the New Testament. And as, as we just read in the books of Acts, it tells us the story of how this, uh, this doctrine was, was being developed and all the great, great challenges of the early church in great detail. This doctrine, the truth of who Jesus Christ is, is the truth that God himself took on human flesh, took upon himself the sins of the world, and the wrath of God, and this is the unifying force of the church. This unifying doctrine separates us, Christians, from every other religion on earth. It separates us from even the heresies that use Christ's name, but teach doctrine that is contrary to what we find in the, in the gospel, and contrary to what we see the apostles in the New Testament preach. And so, all the doctrine that we see in the New Testament, it starts and ends with Christ. And it's, that, it's through him the whole structure is be, being made, as it says in the verses 20, uh, 20 and 21 in, in Ephesians, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so if the cornerstone of Christ or the doctrine of Christ is off, it, it, 
meaning if we don't believe the essential truths of who Jesus is, this ceases to become a church. This ceases to become a holy temple. There is no foundation for God to work in. And so this is why Christ is so important to the church. And it's not only important to the church, but this is also where God unites us in the church. It's the truth of who he is and the doctrine is unifying. And the church then can be unified in him. Let's look at verse 22 together. It says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In Christ we're unified as the church. No more barriers to us. No more rich or poor. No more race, black or white or Hispanic. All that remains is Christians who follow Christ. Moreover, Paul is letting us know that the church is the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit to work. See, this is why Christ is is so important. First, our God must work in us so that we can have a new relationship by grace alone, as we read in Ephesians, earlier in Ephesians. Uh, But we as individuals must submit our lives to Christ and become part of the household of God. By knowing Christ individually, our community proclaims the, the truth of who Christ is. And then Christ, or sorry, and then God through the, through the Holy Spirit will work inside our church. But again, this only happens if the foundation is Christ. All God's work in the church and our lives depend on our foundation being Him, being Christ. See, God is building up His church his single church upon the foundation of Christ, all those who would believe in his name. And he's putting us together like Legos, fitting us together while sanctifying us and becoming, as we become more and more like us, or more, excuse me, not more like us. We don't want to be like more like us. We want to be more like Christ. And this is why I find this, this verse in 1 Corinthians, I'll just read it for you, in verse, I mean, chapter 12, verse 26, it says, if one member suffers, talking about the church, the, the universal church, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And this is why I love, love this verse so much, is because it speaks of the unity of, church, of the church. All believers who who know Christ, make up the church, not just this church building here. When we trust our lives to Christ, yes, we are saved individually, but we are saved into the universal church. We're saved into a community of believers, the church. So when one of us is suffering, when one of us starts to try and work out his own salvation or her own salvation, or when we, one of us sins, we all suffer together. Because all of a sudden that Lego piece is not fitting with all the other Lego pieces in the church. We misplace our own trust and maybe trust in something like ourselves or something that we love instead of Christ. And of course, yes, there is grace. But, and, but this is why community and the church is so important. We need, we need brothers and sisters to come alongside those who are struggling, those who are suffering, those who are having a hard and difficult life. 
to encourage them and to show them Christ's grace and mercy to them and seek to glorify God in all of this with our, all of our lives. See, knowing now that Christ breaks down all barriers and that we are brought into a new relationship with him and that knowing Christ, that he is our only savior and that as a church, we are being sanctified and continually working out, being on mission together, unifying in one mission for God to work in the life and the ministry of this church. So what does that mean for us today and tomorrow? How does this change our lives for today and tomorrow? Well, I would start with asking this question is, do you know Christ? Is, is Christ your Lord and Savior? And have you submitted your life to him? Do you believe in his sacrifice on the cross? Have you trusted in that? Because without submitting your life to Christ, without this, without a yes from these questions, we can go no further. And just because I'm in front of a church this, this morning doesn't mean for, that I think that everyone in here knows Christ. So, who is Christ to you? Is he your Lord and Savior? Because without this, there, there, there is no hope, there is no life, and there is no hope for eternal life with him. That may not be you. That may be... Um, that may not be you, but it, because there are people who do know Christ in here. And, and so for us, what, is this, what does that mean for us? What does this verse, uh, this unity mean for us? And so many of us think that, and I've done this in my own life where I've been walking with Christ for 10 plus years, and so we think that there's something more than the cross, we think that, oh, I know what Christ did on the cross for me, but what now? What do I move on to? What's the new theology that I have to know? Or what's the new, what's the new like, self-help book that I can get better? What's the new thing that's past the cross? What's the new doctrine I have to know? Maybe it's I have to read the Bible more, or maybe I have to pray more, or maybe I have to do this or that. But I, I, I got to have some news for you. The cross is everything. We never move on from the cross. We're not meant to. The cross is where we find our hope. It's where we find our joy and we find our love. And so we should always be focused on the cross. Always. This is the great unifying piece in the church. With Christ, we know that we didn't deserve his sacrifice. When we look on the cross, we see so blatantly our own sin. And that it's only by his grace and his love for us that, that we could have eternal life just by saying, yes, Lord. We never move on from the cross. Knowing that in Christ... That there, we, we can always have unity with those around us and within our own church. So for those of us in this church, I, I ask us th this application for this. Are we putting up barriers between each other 
that Christ has already took, taken down. If we're meant to be a community on mission for Christ, then what is it that we're putting up barriers between our brothers and sisters that is preventing from God to continually work and sanctify this church and sanctify our community and work through the ministries of this church? And of course, it's not all dependent on us. There is grace and there are things that, that we can do and there are things that uh, we can lay down at the cross and say, you know, I can't do this on my own. We are all broken, me included. That's why the cross is so important. So let's stop putting up barriers that, that Christ has already torn down. And let us be on mission, the, the mission that God has given us to, to preach Christ, sharing Christ with others, and allowing Christ to work through this church and this community of believers.